You know, I don't know about you, but I'm a huge sports fan and I love being in the environment and being at some major sporting event because being a witness in those things when they got the Renegade song, or whatever the song is of, the, of that team or that day playing, there's just something that gets you moving and motivating. And, you know, just to be able to be a witness of big events. You know, I've been there when, when uh, UC Bearcats football team knocked off the number one Wisconsin team when they stuffed Ron Dane at the goal line in the late 1990s, and I stormed the field. That was a great day. Or Corey Dillon breaking Jim Brown's single rushing record as a rookie. I was there when the Pirates had a good game. Yeah, there was a time when the Pirates had a good game, and I was there for it. I, I promise you. I was there for AFC Championships game. I even made it to a Super Bowl. There's just something about being a witness, being there for these major events. You know, and you've experienced it too. Maybe it was a sporting event or maybe there's something else that happened that was just a big ordeal where you can say, I've been there. I experienced that. I was there in the crowd, whatever it might be. There's just something about being a witness to something, isn't there? And did you know that in the Bible, Jesus called us to be his witness? He called us with, to have that same enthusiasm, that same excitement to say, I've been there. I've, I experienced that. I, I walked that trail. We are called to be his witness. Look what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You know, in our journey, we're called to be a witness. In our journey with Jesus, we're called to make a stand. If you're a Steelers fan, if you've ever been to Heinz Field, you know they play that song, Renegade, at times when they need the defense to make a stand. And in our journey with Jesus, he calls us to make a stand. Oh, this stand is so much more important than some sporting events or anything else that may happen in this world. He calls us to make a stand by providing his hope in this world to be his witness. Please jot this down. Here's the cold, hard fact. Jesus calls us to be his witness in this world. He calls us to be his witness in everywhere we go. You know, being a witness is to have a real-life testimony of the experience. To know what happened. To, to say, I've been there. I know what he's talking about. I've seen it with my own eyes. Witnessing something changes us, doesn't it? I bet every one of us has the, the ability to say exactly where we were and what, what was going on for us on September 11th, 2001. That day is vivid and in, in, in our minds. And many of you guys who are maybe just a little, a little bit older than me remember exactly where you were the day John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Or so many other things that happened, you just know what, where you were, what you were doing, what happened in that moment. Because witnessing something, a major event, transforms our mindset. It changes our attitudes and moves us towards action. And some of you will say, well, I get that. 
But I was not there with Jesus. I did not walk with Jesus. I did not experience his teaching on the, on the mountain. I wasn't there and I, I didn't hear his voice. I, how can I be his witness? But you know what? I bet it's safe to assume if every one of us are honest with ourselves, you have witnessed God at work. You've seen Jesus work in your life and through your life. And because of that, you have the ability to be a witness. You have a story. You know, in the New Testament, there's a man by the name of the Apostle Paul. He advanced the kingdom of God. He wrote the majority of the letters that we find in the New Testament. And he was a man that did not personally witness Jesus. He did not walk with Jesus. He did not hear Jesus' stories personally. But God transformed his life. And we come across this man in Acts chapter 19. At the beginning, he was known as Saul. And here Saul was a man who wanted to persecute the church. He wanted everybody who knew and loved Jesus, who followed Jesus, he wanted them dead. That was his mission. And in Acts chapter 9, he's on this road to Damascus. And his whole journey was all about finding more Jesus followers and killing them. That's what he wanted to do. But it was on this road something amazing happened. It was on this road where he met the very man he wanted to destroy. In Acts chapter 9, if you read that story, a bright light just all of a sudden shone down and knocked Saul to, his, to the ground. And in that moment, Saul was asking, who is this? And Jesus spoke, Saul, it's me, the one you're trying to persecute. And Jesus went on to explain to him that you need to get up, go to the city, and there you're going to learn what I need you to do. And the Bible says that Saul got up and he was blind and he did not eat for three days. And the men that were with him guided him to Damascus where he met this man by the name of Ananias who taught him about Jesus and who led him to Christ. And in that moment, Saul was surrounded by people who guided him towards the heart of God. Where he learned who, who he was in Jesus and what he was supposed to do through Jesus. And look at these words in Acts chapter 9. Verses 19 and 20, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Did you catch it? Saul met Jesus that day. Jesus transformed his life and nobody could stop him from telling his story. He was not going to be held back anymore. He had a story to tell. It was his time to be a witness of what God has done in his life. And he was not going to hold back from that. He had a story to tell. And so do you. You have a story to tell. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. What have you personally experienced with Jesus? I know you've had some experiences with him whether you realize it or not, how have you experienced him? How have you personally witnessed Jesus do amazing things in your life and through your life? You have a story. But here's the scary thing. Many of us hold back from using our story, from allowing our story to be a difference of hope in other people because we are too scared of the darkest, deepest secrets of our life. And so we hold back. 
You don't think Saul, was, who became Paul, was embarrassed about his story, of how he was a murderer, and how he wanted to destroy everybody who followed Jesus? I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was embarrassed by that story. But he used that story of how God transformed this messed up knucklehead to be a difference in other people's life. You have a story. And there's dark moments in your story, just like mine. But God wants to use that story to change the world. If you just allow him to do that, that's your story. Every one of us has that. And God is calling us to be his witness, to share his hope in this world. Here's another cold, hard fact. And that is Jesus is calling us to the front lines. He calls us to the front lines, not to sit back and say, somebody else can share their story. Somebody else can go offer hope. Somebody else can step in the gap. No, he calls you to share your story, to step in the gap. In, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when, when Jesus told his disciples that they are to be his witnesses, he goes on to say that we are to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, what did he mean by that? What does that mean for us today? Because I'm not in Jerusalem. Well, here's what it means. What Jesus was telling them was, you are to be my witness in your local community, in your nation. That's Jerusalem and Judea. And then in Samaria. Samaria, you know what that means? So the Samarians were the people that the Jewish culture despised. They hated. They did not want anything to do with those people. They were despicable. You know what that means for us today? Those people in your life that you just can't stand, God calls you to be a witness for them too. There is no excuse that I don't like them. I can't stand them. I don't want anything to do with them. God in this moment was throwing those excuses out the window. He said, be my witness. And then he says, into all the ends of the earth. That's why here at Impact, we support missions. That's why what, what the Cobbs are doing in, in Ghana and what our other missionaries are doing around the world are so vital for us to support and get behind because they are going to the front lines in other parts of the world to share the message of hope. We need to be willing to step forward, to stand in the gap, to go to the front lines and be his witness, to simply share his story with all those that we come into contact with. Because you know what? Jesus calls us to take action. He calls us to take action and be his vessel of hope in this world. That's what he desires, uh, desires us to be. I don't know if this, this is news to you, but this world is broken. This world is hurting. Every week, every day, I run into more brokenness and more pain and more strife in this world. This world is desperate for hope, and we have the answer to that. If we just share our story, if we just allow God to work in us and through us, just like he did for the Apostle Paul. You know, immediately after Jesus was called, was calling them to be his witness. He ascended into heaven. And in that moment, in the next couple of verses, I love what is written in the scriptures. Verses 10 and 11 of Acts 1, it, re it reads, They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. 
when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go up into heaven. You know, I love this portion of the story because I just try to imagine what is going on in the disciples' mind as they're just standing there looking up in the sky. You know, I could just see their conversation. Where did he go? Peter, did you see which cloud he went into? Where's he at? What happened to him? And then as the angels appeared, I can only imagine them looking up too. Guys, uh, what are you looking at? What's up there? Why are you looking into the sky? There's work to be done. We don't have time to look in the sky. Let's get busy. Go. He gave you a mission. Now go. And you know, so often, I feel we struggle just like the disciples who were caught just looking into the sky. So often we look up in the sky and we just wonder, well, Jesus, when are you coming back? And we try so hard to match current events with prophecy when it really doesn't matter. Our job is not to worry about how current events may match his prophecy. Our job is to get out there and share his story. Our job is to go into the front lines and be his witness. It's time, my friends, for us to stop gazing into the sky and wondering when he might come back and use every opportunity we have to get to the front lines and share our story because your story has hope and your story can transform lives just like it did for Paul. He changed the world and so can you if you just allow God to work within you and through you The disciples in that moment refocused themselves and got to the mission. And that's what we need to do, my friends. Look what Paul wrote in Romans 10, verses 14 to 15. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The truth is we live in a lost and hurting world. And those who are lost and those who are broken, they need you. The world needs you. The world needs the hope that you know of, the hope that your story shares. We're called to this. Each one of us is needed. And that's why here at Impact, we are launching a strategy that we're calling, calling each one. In other words, all of us are a part of this. And we want to transform the culture of our church and our lives personally that we're all involved with this. Jot this down in your notes. The first component of this is to each one reach one. All of us have a part in sharing our story to be a witness in this world. And if all of us take part of that, just imagine the hope that we can provide to this world and for people individually. We're called to be his witness. Well, how do we do that? How do we take those steps? These aren't in your notes, but jot down these four words. Know, pray, share, invite. No, not like no, but like no. No, share, um, I'm sorry, no, pray, share, invite. Here's how you can be a witness. Know the people who are in your line of sight. You come across people every single day, your neighbors, your coworkers, people 
who you stand on the sidelines at your children's sporting events, whatever it might be, you know who those people are. God has provided people in your line of sight who need hope, who are broken, who are desperate. Why don't you do this sometime today? Jot down five names of people in your line of sight who you know that they're broken. They need hope. And do me a favor. I'm going to challenge you right now. For those names that you, you jotted down, I want you to spend the next 30 days. Every day, I just want you to pray for each of those people. Just pray for the Spirit of God to work in their life, to bring hope to their life. Just pray for them. Pray for doors to be opened up. And look for the opportunity to share your story. Take those opportunities. Watch what God will begin to do, just like with Paul, how he will use your story to transform lives. And take a moment to invite them. Invite them to the landing. Bring their kids and you bring your kids and let them play here. Grab a cup cup of coffee at the cafe or lunch, whatever it might be. Invite them to impact for worship. Invite them to your growth group. Invite them to serve with you. Just invite them to find connections with other people where they will find encouragement in their journey, where they will experience more hope in their life. You know another great way, a great thing to do to help share and, and spread hope of something going on? People are looking online all the time, and in their broken moments, they are searching the internet. Do me a favor, you Facebookers. Grab your phone right now. If you've never liked Impact Moon Township, why don't you go ahead and like it and follow it right now. And each time you walk in here to service or you come here for something, just tag it as, you know, you're here. Um, Tag it, just check in. Check in that you are here and watch what happens. Watch how God uses those simple planting of the seeds to bring hope in people's life. Just do that. Watch what God does. God wants to use you. He gave you a story. Use your story. And watch what he does. But you know another way to really share your faith? A real way to share your faith is to serve. Just to serve. And I want, we want to invite Nikki Funk up here. She oversees our ministries and our recruiting here at Impact. And we just want her to share her heart of what this means to serve. Hi, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm going to start off by saying I think that most of us in this room, if we, are, we know we are called and that we know that we are followers of Jesus, that we are supposed to serve. Um, John 13, right at the end, I think it starts in about verse 16 or 17. Regardless, it's in your notes, and it knows better than I do. But Jesus says this after he washes his disciples' feet. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. And similarly, in Matthew 20, 28, he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus really isn't shy about telling us what we need to do He says very clearly, we are not greater than he is. And if he served, then we need to be serving too. And I know some of you here may be a little bit hesitant about taking that step. And I remember a time in my life 
where I wasn't just hesitant, I was like outright opposed to taking this step. I became a believer in Christ my freshman year of college. I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was. You can go ahead and guess. Hopefully it's shorter than you think. But uh, (laughs) my first year that I was a believer, I was very rebellious. Like I was grateful for the hope, but I wasn't totally sold out yet. And the pastor of the church that I was going to um, knew I was a voice major at the time when I was in college and was after me to sing on the church praise team. And to be completely honest with you, I wanted absolutely nothing to do with it. I did not want to sing. And um, he just kept on me and kept on me. And I was like, fine, I will do it for one semester and then you will leave me alone. And within the course of that semester, I just got so hooked. And I never looked back. Obviously, I've been doing it ever since. Um, And the thing that is just striking to me about that is that I never would have known. It's my absolute joy to serve God in the way that I do. And I never would have known if I would have stayed in my seat and had I not taken a risk to try something different. So my purpose in talking to you here today, guys, is not to guilt you into serving. It's not to throw a bunch of Bible verses at you and say, you should serve because Jesus said so. But he did, but I'm not going to do that. So like so many things in this great adventure with Jesus, it really comes down to a matter of the heart. This is in your notes. If you want it, you got to write it down. It says, why we serve him is just as important as how we serve him. And to me, service to Jesus is the natural overflow of a grateful heart and a humble attitude. Service should come naturally when we truly recognize who we are in God's sight, how undeserving we are of the amazing things that he does for us, that he has done for us. And when we humbly accept those gifts from him with an open and a grateful heart, receiving from God is vital for those who wish to serve him. And I love the example that Peter gives us in that same passage, John 13, starting in the sixth verse. He was hesitant to receive some good things from Jesus. Jesus was now making his rounds to all of his disciples. He was washing their dirty, dusty, smelly feet as an act of care and love. And so it says this, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So like Peter, I think sometimes we need to allow ourselves to receive. And you might be wondering, what does that really mean to receive? I'm so glad you asked because I looked it up for you. Merriam-Webster defines receive as to come into possession, to assimilate through our mind and, or our senses. And I love that word, assimilate. To me, it suggests that you're taking something and you're making it a part of you to fully own something. And when I think of receiving, I think about gifts and I think about Christmas. And I cannot lie to you guys, I am a gifts person. I am fully aware I'm going to sound like the biggest brat in the world, but I love getting presents. And one year for Christmas, my sister-in-law... She bought me a cake pop machine, which was a really thoughtful gift. I really like to bake, and I had the greatest of intentions on using this cake pop machine. But you know what happened? I took it home, and I put it in my closet on my bedroom floor, 
and it collected dust year after year after year. And so I found it, probably about six months ago, I found it. I said, oh yeah, you know what, I'm never gonna use that. And I sold it on Facebook Marketplace for $10. So let me ask you a question. Did I really receive that gift? And I think sometimes we need to ask ourselves that about the gifts that Jesus gives us. Have we really received his gifts and his blessing into our lives? Have we made them a part of who we are? Are we using them every day? Or are they just sitting on the floor and in the closet of our hearts collecting dust? Because we can't give away what we haven't fully received for ourselves. If we're going to pour into other people, we need to make sure we have something to pour. Because we can't pour from an empty cup. And we have to make sure our cups are full. And that's why receiving from Jesus is so vitally important when we're talking about serving him. Because our why is just as important as our how. The motives and the position of your heart when you're serving are important. And so this leads me to using an analogy. I have used this analogy in my own life to just kind of like, it's almost like a spiritual temperature. I'm trying to figure out where I'm at. And so what I do is I picture my life as a tree, okay? My roots go down deep into Christ and his truth. That's my nourishment. And so I picture each part of the tree. If you want this, I don't think they're in your notes, so you can jot them down if you want them. The trunk is my spiritual self. That's where I'm kind of taking my spiritual temperature. The branches are my ministry, the who I'm pouring into, how I'm serving. And what Bill was talking about with our Each One initiative, this is kind of where the next part of that initiative comes from. The next piece is Each One, Recruit One. So we need each and every one of our people who are serving to take it onto themselves because we need you. Each one needs to try to reach out and to find people in your line of sight um, to help us with recruiting for our ministry teams. Because if every person who's involved in a ministry team could find one other person, our teams would double. And that's more than one person can do um, all on their own. And the, the last piece of the tree is the fruit. It's the results. So, I've talked a lot about the why of why we serve. It's not just what we do, it's why we do it. And so I want to look at Jesus' why. We've been kind of all over John 13, but I want to go back to the very beginning. Because he's already taught us to receive from him through that. He's already taught us that we need to follow his example. So what is Jesus' why? Well, let's start in the first verse. It says this. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist... And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. So I'm going to quickly break this down. Verse 3, Jesus knew who he was. His trunk was sturdy. He knew who God made him to be. Verses 1 through 2, Jesus knew he had fulfilled his purpose. He had loved them to the very end. His branches were strong and they were producing fruit. And verse 4 is my favorite, that little word so, just two little letters that means so much. 
So as a result of this, as a result of him knowing who he was, as a result of knowing what his purpose was, as a result of this, he got up from the table and humbly served his friends doing only what the lowest of the lowest servants would do. He was the king of the world and he made himself low as an example to us of what we need to do. That's our ideal. That's what we need to constantly be striving for. And I know I am not there yet. What about you, Bill? I think we all tend to struggle with that. We all have a sense of inadequacy in us. You know, I feel like me when I have to share my story I remember back when I was in college and I was at a broken point in my life and I was just kind of alone and I was actually leaving Cincinnati, going back home to try to refocus of what my life was all about, what I was wanting to do. And I was on this Greyhound all night bus ride and it's one of those moments, if you've ever been there, where you, you, the seat next to you is empty and you're just praying, God, please, <laughs> no one sit there. Yeah. I want to be alone. And sure enough... This young man sat next to me, who I found out needed my story. And for my healing process, I needed to share my story. You know, and so often in our life, we feel like we're inadequate. But I go back to something Dale said last week, and that is God does not, uh, you know, he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so we're not adequate by ourselves. You never, we never will be, but right. we find ourselves being adequate only through Jesus. But, you know, the other thing I tend to hear questions is, you know, not just am I adequate enough, but am I really needed? You know, people see what's going on stage and they think, boy, you guys got it all covered. Am I really needed? Right. And I think that's such an important question to ask. First of all, yes, you are. Um, (laughs) But I also think back to a time in my life where I was asked to be, to serve on a leadership team And I didn't know if I was needed until I looked at the leadership team and I said, oh, yes, I am because they're going in the wrong direction and I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to tell them what they need to do and where they need to go. And let me tell you, that was a very long and frustrating year of ministry when you're trying to impose your own will onto a group of people rather than being in line with Christ and letting his will work through you. Um, So I think that that's just so incredibly important as well as, you know, making sure that our motives and our why of how we're serving is, is absolutely and I yeah. think if we just allow God to love us and love others through us you begin to see what God really wants to do you know the question of this whole message is what are we supposed to do the answer to that, to that God calls us to be harvesters he calls us to be harvesters just to allow him to do his amazing work in our life and through our life I love what the apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 He writes, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. All he asks of us, Jesus, is our faithfulness, and he works through us. As harvesters, he calls us to plant seeds. You know, connecting with people, sharing our stories, just being there and watering that, that, that plant, mentoring people, taking people under our wings, and then God does all the work. If we're just simply faithful and allow him to use us to transform our lives into the likeness of his. 
You know, Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And those words he spoke over 2,000 years ago are so true today too. This world desperately needs hope. This world needs your story. This world needs more who are willing to step to the front lines and be harvesters, sharing their stories and sharing their gifts so that the kingdom of God's hope may be advanced. If we just let God love us and love others through us. That's what Paul did. The Apostle Paul, there is nothing special about that man. I know we like to hold him on a pedestal of how great he was, but he was just a man. He was a knucklehead. He was a mess up just like you and me. But what happened for him was when he met Jesus, he allowed Jesus to transform his life and he would not stop telling his story. What about you? Will you allow God to work in you and through you? All Paul did was he laid his life at the altar of God. He said, here I am, take me, use me. God's looking for more with a willing heart whose lives will be transformed, who will share their story and share their gifts. You know, the amazing thing in Acts 9, when Paul met Ananias and the other disciples, when they led him to Christ, the Bible says that he went and was baptized. It was in that moment where he identified with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, where he was transformed to becoming from a murderer to a life changer. Now, what about you? You may be saying, Bill, I've never experienced that hope. I have no idea what that hope is all about. I've never walked with Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus. Well, if that's you, how about you come to the next steps? At the conclusion of this message, at the conclusion of this service, come back and meet me or one of our other great next steps uh, counselors back there. And we would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus, about the hope that you can have. And maybe it's time for you to be baptized like the Apostle Paul who experienced Jesus in a whole new way that day where you can experience him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection and where you can be transformed and use your story to transform others. But let's just lay our life at the altar of God. 